traveling through another dimension. Another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. But of mind. A journey into a wondrous land, land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. In the last two episodes of the Twilight Zone podcast, I've given my thoughts on what I think of the first two episodes of the new show. But tonight, it's time for you to give yours. I put out a call for some feedback and the brief was actually very simple. Just send in some thoughts about the show and the Twilight Zone podcast will become your forum to do that. So it's a way of putting a finger on the pulse of fandom and seeing what they think. Now, now there are no rules to this as such, but one thing that I did want to get across by doing this is that if you look at any particular fandom at the moment, and I'm not singling out anyone in particular, I think it's quite evident in several different areas, you know, there will often be times when if you love something, then people will say, well, you only love it because you are a sycophant or an apologist for that thing. And if you don't like something, then you're a hater and you are predisposed to hating it. Now, one of the goals I have in doing this is to show that fandom doesn't have to be like that. If you love the new Twilight Zone, you are welcome on this show. If you don't like the new Twilight Zone, you are welcome on this show. If you are somewhere in between, you're welcome on this show as well. My only rule is that your criticism is respectful, reasoned, and not insulting to anyone. And as is usual, the Twilight Zone podcast audience have showed themselves worthy in that regard. And I think we've got a great show here. We've got some clips from friends of the show who are contacting me for the first time, putting their voices on the podcast, and I think it's fantastic. So that's enough for me. Let's hand the show over to you to see what you think of Nightmare at 30,000 Feet and The Comedian. And I'll see you on the other side to tell you what you can do to get your thoughts on the show next. Hi, Tom. It's Jack Ward of the Sonic Society, Electro Vicuna Productions, and, and now the Mutual Audio Network podcast. Well, I've popped my head up from the production and listened to your latest episodes, and I'm suppressing a very unusual feeling I have for you right now. Genuine envy. You know, you've had some great guests on the show. And now the executive producers of the new Twilight Zone series? Oh, fantastic, Tom, and good on you. And you also got to listen to the first four episodes of Peel's Twilight Zone before the rest of us. That's amazing. When I come back in another life after I've been to the Twilight Zone, I hope it is as Tom Elliott. <laughs> but maybe I'll just have to settle for meeting up with you this year on your trip at New York State. But you asked for thoughts about the new Twilight Zone. Well, all yesterday I was giddy because I felt like it was Christmas Eve. And I got home and watched both The Comedian and Nightmare at 30,000 feet. Now, I've only seen both episodes once, and I'm looking forward to rewatching them sometime this week with my son and getting more Easter eggs out of the show. But here are my thoughts. Universally, I really enjoyed both episodes. They were certainly well put together and reflected the spirit of the Twilight Zone, I think. 
The filming of each reflected some of the great shooting of the original series with angles and tight spaces giving the sense of discomfort and, and anxiety. The limited space rules, the small sets help contain great stories without providing distracting extra pieces. The conversations held by the characters, though modernized, certainly felt like they belonged in a Twilight Zone series. As you mentioned, the intros were very much in keeping of the original Twilight Zone, and there was a touch of the 80s version of the Twilight Zone series too in the music, I think, but I didn't see very much of the Forrest Whitaker series, series 3 style. The closing credits indeed were a straight tribute, and I do love the idea of placing the episode title right in the show as mentioned by your previous guests. I noticed the ventriloquist dummy in the bar from the original series in The Comedian, and you guys didn't mention the floating creepy doll of the original gremlin beside Adam Scott's character when he woke up on the beach at Nightmare. Also in Nightmare, it's worth pointing out that the podcast voice was famous podcaster Dan Carlin from Hardcore History and Common Sense. Dan has slowed down his input recently, but he's been in the podcast game as long as I have in 15 years, and his shows are really worth listening to if you haven't had a chance yet. So, in the interest of brevity, which I'm not doing very well, I'm going to provide my smaller criticisms of the show. Even though they were put together beautifully and already, I can see this is the best of the Twilight Zone remakes, with Jordan Peele nailing the raw narrations. But here's my first criticism, the length. I think the Twilight Zone's really done better with a half-hour format. Now I recognize that there's even less time now. Half-hour shows are more like 21 minutes with commercials than 25 in the past, and those four minutes can be crucial in creating a strong story. That being said, while I see that Black Mirror has done a good job in an hour format, the Twilight Zone sometimes can be spinning its wheels in a 44-minute show. Maybe one of the complaints from your earlier guests would have been handled better if they clipped the ending sequence in Nightmare and went off into the clouds and then disappeared as the podcast suggested. Some more quick edits in Nightmare at 30,000 feet could have made this half-hour format. Of course, with it being on CBS On Demand, I don't think it has to be truncated beyond its actual 25-minute format, but that's just a minor complaint. In fact, I think The Comedian would have done better in a half hour than Nightmare, but neither felt like they were particularly dragging regardless. Second, and my larger complaint. Well, both are certainly shows from the Twilight Zone. I think it's fair to say that neither of these two outings could be really considered Rod Serling-style shows. They're more likely to reflect Richard Matheson or Charles Beaumont. Here's my reasoning why. When I watch a Serling show, my first thought is, did the punishment fit the crime? And I don't think in either case of the protagonists of The Comedian or Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, they really deserved the fates that were handed out to them. Sure, they were flawed characters, but not really bad people. They were humans trying to do the best that they could in the circumstances that were given them. You know, what's the message in Comedian? Don't try to be popular, you deserve to be erased. What's the message in Nightmare? Investigations of the strange will end up making you paranoid and dead? Both characters had people they loved, and by all suggestions of the show were worthy of that love. Neither of them wanted or sought out to be in situations that they were in. I mean, certainly Sumir has a level of pride, but not as much as the female black comedian who he was up against. And certainly comes up smelling like a rose compared to any of the comedians on the stage up there. If Rod were writing these stories, he would have made their characters a whole lot less likable, and a whole lot more worthy of the endings they were given. I'd like to see more of those stories that Rod liked to write, either the punishing of the wicked or the redemption of the lost. Hopefully we'll see more of those in the future. As for another small criticism, it's really more of a writer's edit. I'd like to have seen Scott's character wake up on the wing of a broken aircraft on the shore. 
I think it would have cemented the idea that he was the gremlin on the plane for us, and that would have provided more evidence for the ending than what we had gotten. I think your take of him being in a kind of hell is an interesting take, and there's certainly evidence to suggest that the passenger was potentially not there or a side of himself that he couldn't acknowledge. All great thoughts, by the way. That would certainly add to the one weird thing principle one of your guest hosts alluded to, with, of course, the podcast being another. You know, I have a theory I call the Green Lantern Axiom. It goes something like this. The more fantastical elements you provide in a show, the less you can suspend disbelief. So, with Green Lantern, for example, when you begin with a superhero world, that's one dimension, and then you add in magic, you've got a second element, and then you remove the character off Earth and add in aliens, you've got a third. If you miniaturized him like the Atom in a show, you'd be pushing all kinds of fantastical elements. So I found you add too many fantastical items at your peril as a writer. It's one of the reasons why Lost got so, well, lost. Thanks again for opening this up. Looking forward to many more episodes to chat about in the new Twilight Zone era. Folks can find me at themutualaudionetwork.com or through your regular podcatchers. We drop audio drama content every day with a different theme. For example, today is Wednesday Wonders, sci-fi and fantasy. So enjoy story in whatever format you love most and keep on casting. Hi, Tom. Uh, this is Bob. It's April 2nd, uh, the day after the uh, first couple episodes of The New Twilight Zone came out. Um, listened to your podcast last week where you want to get uh, listener feedback on this. And so uh, that's really that's really what I want to do is uh, provide some feedback. And, and just to uh, let you know, I've been a, a very long-time listener to the podcast. Unfortunately, haven't... Uh, made any kind of kind of response at all but um can't say i listened when it very first came out but uh i think i caught up uh, very very early on i think you were just in your first few episodes when i uh, uh found it started listening and have been a long time listener ever since then i've gotten many people i think involved in listening to it uh you, you've just done a wonderful job and so i figured this is really probably a great opportunity for me to uh come in and and, and talk with you and share with you my uh, thoughts in this new episode. Um, I think the best thing for me to say right now is that I'm, I'm incredibly disappointed uh, in the new episode. And considering how much I've been looking forward to this uh, makes it even that much worse. And I really, really need to process my thoughts, my feelings on this uh, to determine if I'm going to watch any more of these or not. But uh, I, I really thought that I... Um, really thought that I had myself prepared uh, for this. I saw the CBS Sunday morning news interview with Jordan Peele, um, listened to your podcast, talking to the three executive producers, and and I, I, I knew that this uh, was going to have heavy elements of quote-unquote social justice, uh, morality, types of things that obviously Rod Serling had. And, 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 and I, as I got older, I knew what Rod Serling was was accomplishing with his shows, um, but uh, anyway, I, I think I think what was so disappointing with this was that that um, given all that, this first episode, the comedian starts off with a a complete bash of those who either 
uh, are in favor of gun ownership, own guns, and really demonized that whole segment of society. And for good measure, even partway through, threw in a short little shtick about uh, how the current president is a fascist dictator that needs to be hung up, I believe the term was, by his balls in the public square. So this being the first episode the executive producers chose to roll out tells me that this is what they want people to know about themselves. This is what they want people to know about the show. Listening to your interview with the executive producers, uh, they said, obviously, there has to be a certain level of morality in this, and this will reflect their morality. Um, So right in the first few minutes, they've broadcast exactly what their political beliefs are, um, exactly where they're coming from politically, and that's extremely unfortunate. Uh, I I listened to an interview, um, and he actually got bashed for it uh, quite a bit, that Jay Leno had with the uh, press here. Uh, I forget what news show it was recently, and of course he took over the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and he made the comment about uh, he and Johnny Carson um, both felt like they were doing a good job when they got equal hate mail from both sides of the political spectrum. Uh, liberals, conservatives, Republicans, uh, Republicans, Democrats, they all thought that uh, their side was being bashed, and, and Tom, you've done an excellent job over the life of your podcast of staying politically neutral while obviously covering the social issues that the Twilight Zone covers. And if you can do it, and if late night hosts can do it, then the executive producers of this new Twilight Zone show should have been able to do it. And it's unfortunate that they chose not to. Um, I, I, I just I, I just really hope they can think about this uh, moving forward. I'm sure all these episodes are already written. But that now has colored my view of this entire series. And I don't know if I can overcome that. Um, but uh, anyway, that, that, those are my thoughts on this first episode. And just Twilight Zone in general, Tom, just backing up on, on thanking you for what you've done with this podcast. You've given me back a piece of my childhood that I lost many, many years ago. Uh, I was born in the 60s, watched the Twilight Zone in syndication in the 70s. Uh, it was usually would come on as, as the final show before the uh, station would go off the air for the evening. And as a young boy, I'd set my alarm clock. Uh, to whenever the Twilight Zone was coming on, I could see in the in the TV guide. Would sneak downstairs, turn the TV on, watch the show, and especially if it was what I considered a scary one, would uh, have to turn the lights off and fearfully go back upstairs, thinking I might either step on Tina Talkie or or see Willie the Dummy off over on the sofa. Um, those are feelings that I'd forgotten that I even had uh, that you've really brought back, and I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, you do a great job. Keep up the great work. Uh, even if I don't listen to this new or watch this new Twilight Zone series anymore, I will always continue to listen to your podcast. Um, thanks very much. It's your friend Bob over here from the U.S. Thanks. I had pretty high expectations. I was cautiously optimistic about the Twilight Zone 2019. I just watched the first episode and uh, I think I can succinctly describe what I thought of it by relaying that as soon as the show ended, I literally said out loud, F- yeah. Um, 
absolutely blew me away. I feel like this is the Twilight Zone, that it's just continued on from the original series to now, that this was just a pitch-perfect continuation of the series. And I can't wait to see what everybody thinks of it, and I can't wait to continue on the journey and see the rest of the episodes and get everybody's insights. But from my perspective, I don't think this could have been any better, and I was really blown away by it. So can't wait to uh, continue the journey, and I think we're really lucky to have this. I think you can tell, just like with the Twilight Zone podcast, that the people who made this understood it, cared about it, and uh, they they put a lot into it, and I think that shows, and um, couldn't be happier about seeing the rest of it. So can't wait to see what everybody thinks. Cheers. Hi, Tom. This is Bob. Uh, I had sent you a message yesterday about the comedian and uh, had made the comment that I didn't know if I would uh, watch the rest of the series, needed to process everything, and uh, really was only not even able to wait 24 hours and just uh, had had to watch Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. Um, and and I, I had to provide a supplement to what I'd sent uh, yesterday just to say that this episode I felt was was spot on and was exactly what uh, what it should be what I was expecting the Twilight Zone uh, the new series to be uh, the the mood the music the writing uh, everything about this episode was what I was expecting and and thoroughly enjoyed it and unlike the comedian where it really just shoved politics right in your face uh, I didn't get that feeling from this episode and um, I'd mentioned that I'd watched the interview that Jordan Peele had with CBS Sunday morning uh, a while back uh, I think that was a, a week ago and he made the comment that uh, one of the things that, that they were doing in producing these shows was uh, making sure to always incorporate what he called the the Serling Wink, which was a twist. And I think what I liked the most about Nightmare at 30,000 Feet was that it uh, held my attention, kept me guessing, and didn't have just one twist but two. So I guess you could call that the uh, Serling Wink and, and nod. Um really kept me guessing up uh, towards the point of, of who caused that flight to crash. And I thought that was the end of the episode. So then to see that uh, everybody survived was a shock to me. And then to hear that uh, the main character did not survive kept me wondering. And I was thinking up, up until the very, very end, uh, I, I thought that, okay, well, maybe he's off in another dimension or, or another timeline or something like that uh, and then to see that the the final twist was just the pure simplicity of uh, the rest of the passengers taking out their uh, taking out their aggression on him for having crashed the plane and and something else which again is kudos to the writers of this and the producers uh, that this really as you think through it is one of those types of stories that uh, has kind of an endless backwards time loop of sorts uh, where you're really left wondering what caused what but uh, in, anyway just um, wanted to give you my comments on this so I guess vote tally so far did not like the comedian uh, really would not like to see any other shows like that didn't see any reason at all why they had to put 
those political elements in it they did. Thoroughly enjoyed Nightmare at 30,000 feet and hope to see more like that. Um, so haven't uh, sent you any messages since starting to listen to the podcast. Now I've done two in two days. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks, Tom. And those are my comments. Bye. I've had an email from Jay and he says from the opening beats of this show it felt comforting and like home. They captured the feel and mood of Rod. The narrator being in the scene and on the set should make Tom happy as well as all of us. The opening words by Jordan Peele felt like a Rod monologue. He doesn't have his delivery but who does? And we would not want an impression anyway. The writing itself felt like old school Twilight Zone but at the same time modern they did not shy away from American hot topics. My only real complaint was the cursing. It felt they were doing it just because they could. Even Kamal made a comment about it in the story. I'm sure people feel and will feel this is just making it feel like life, and maybe it's true, but it took me out for a minute. The opening font and closing credits were awesome. Has anybody ever said that about the closing credits? They were straight up classic TZ. The score was fantastic too. It kept the mood and tone of Rod's vision. In the end, this is modern, but teasy at the same time. Kamal was crazy good, as well as the rest of the cast. I give this an 8 out of 10. And then Jay goes on to talk about Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, and he says, To say this is a remake is a travesty. Yes, it has a man who has had a breakdown. Richard Matheson gets a story credit, but this goes to new places. When he finds the old MP3 player, everything changes. To use a mystery podcast as the catalyst for the story was brilliant. It brings it to the 21st century. Was that Tom's voice he was listening to? No, but his voice was just as smooth. Adam Scott really jumped to the occasion. He played crazy so convincingly, I really bought it. The scene where he has beads of sweat on his forehead was such a nice touch. The MacGuffin being Joe was a nice touch. For a minute, I thought, is he real? Can only Adam Scott see him? Nicholas Lee showing up was a nice X-Files touch. Unfortunately, he had little to work with. Jordan's intro and outro were very Rod. I do miss Rod's cadence in the opening and closing. Not to say I don't like Jordan, he's killing it, but he has some big shoes to fill. Overall, he is hitting the beats. This was a killer episode. 9 out of 10, the ending was fantastic and I did not see it coming. Cheers, Tom. Jay. Thank you, Jay. Hey there, Tom. Harold Clark reporting in from Buda, Texas. Long-time listener and just wanted to give you my thoughts on the first couple of episodes. Overall, the biggest negative for me is the language, unfortunately. I get why they do it, because they're behind a paywall and they want the characters to be more realistic. However, most of the, well, a lot of fans of Twilight Zone are that way because they were once a 10-year-old kid sneaking an episode on a late Saturday night. And unfortunately, with these episodes, uh, not kid-friendly. But I get why they do it. So real quickly, with the comedian... Uh, so J.C. Wheeler seems to be inspired by an, a U.S. comic named Dave Chappelle. He was super big, 
super hot, had shows all over, and then I guess it just got burned out. So you might want to give him a, a, a check and read about him. Uh, I thought that the twist of the episode would be Samir would actually start to talk about the club itself since you needed to state a name of the human or the dog in order to get rid of it, that he would just say, hey, how about this Eddie's nightclub? What a dump. And everybody would start to laugh. And, you know, people come in here and drown their sorrows with cheap beer and bad comics and ha, 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 funny, funny, funny. And then next thing you know, maybe the the whole club, maybe everybody in it have disappeared. And in its place is maybe a gas station or something that maybe would come into play in a later episode. Who knows? But uh, so on to Nightmare at 30,000 feet. So first off, the plane looked great. Uh, that final scene, or almost final scene, where it the camera backs up from the cockpit and goes through the aisleway and out the window, and you see that the plane, you know, that is going to crash. Man, that looked that looked great. That was top notch. Uh, like the Beaumont and Donner references. Uh, 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 one missed thing. I can't believe they didn't do this. Everything is related to 1015. Flight 1015 goes out of gate B15, not J. Tenth letter of the alphabet. Eh, oh well. So comparing this to the original, the the window curtain and the podcast player serve the same function. In the original, if he just kept the curtain closed then maybe the gremlin doesn't show up. Maybe, you know, everything is fine. And in this one, if he doesn't continue to play the podcast player, maybe nothing happens, you know. Um, you know, maybe everything's fine. Uh, I did like that he tried to get somebody to listen to the podcast player to kind of share in his in his fears. Um, in the original, if he could have got his wife or another passenger to look out the window with him, then maybe that would prevent this tragedy from happening. So, you know, interesting how they were able to parallel that. Um, oh, man, if only he had an external speaker, maybe that would be the solve of everything. Um, the final ending on the beach, that was quite the surprise, but it left me with a couple questions. You know, Tom, you always talk about how the Twilight Zone universe has has a sense of justice that, you know, people that deserve it get what they deserve. And I don't know if if Justin deserved his fate. You know, I don't know why what he did prior to this. I can I can see if maybe he is an investigative reporter that made up stuff and maybe he made up the end of civility um uh, article, then I could see the ironic twist that, oh, hey, guess what? These people are being uncivil, and therefore, ha, 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 guess what? You know, you, you got what you deserve. But I'm not sure he got what he deserved. And speaking of that, the last thing is it says that all the passengers survived except for Justin. That also means Joe Beaumont, the pilot who crashed the plane, he's alive too. So why didn't the passengers, you know, attack him? He crashed the plane, but, eh, you know, small, small part. Um, So anyway, so far, you know, so good. I'm intrigued to see what the next couple episodes are. So, Tom, again, I thank you for 
for letting us speak and and put our voices in. And I will uh, look forward to the next episode and I will talk at you next week. Okay. I've had an email from longtime friend of the show, Katie, and she says, I've been trying to put my thoughts together for a while now, since I've seen the new episodes. It's hard to put into words what kind of feelings your favourite show's reboot can give you. But one thing I will say is that I'm excited about something that the original did not do, and that's a mysterious plot happening in the background of these episodes. Although each episode is unique, it seems like they are all in the same universe. For example, the two characters from other episodes being on magazine covers in the beginning of A Nightmare at 30,000 Feet and the Mars painting on the wall in the airport. I think this show has a ton of potential and I'm happy to be an audience member. I'm looking forward to watching a new episode every Thursday. Katie. Thanks for writing in, Katie. Hello Tom, it's Dave from the Dark Corner Podcast. With my thoughts on The Comedian, I really love Jordan Peele as the mischievous and mysterious narrator. He has the voice and look and the gravitas to pull it off. I've enjoyed how the episodes have been filmed and have enjoyed finding Easter eggs in the backgrounds and sometimes even in the foregrounds of scenes. On the surface, I appreciated it as your standard Faustian tale. I liked seeing the darker side of Kumail Nanjiani, who, in my experience, has been a very charming, engaging, and delightful figure. So to see him tangle with this dark power to erase people from existence through just speaking of them, it was a neat dark turn and showed his facets as an actor. We were also impressed by Tracy Morgan playing against type, Though I can't help but think what another comedian, such as Patton Oswalt, might have done with that role, as the somewhat sinister grantor of this dark power. All that I enjoyed, as well as the butterfly effects that took place after somebody was erased from existence. I could have done with more of them, considering the number of names that were spoken. Where I do have a problem is how the episode does or does not address comedy itself. I'm a comedian improviser and I also run tech at an improv house here in Ogden. I've also been a fan of stand-up comedy and sketch comedy for about as long as I can remember. And with this episode of The Twilight Zone, they had an opportunity to speak about comedy and its role in society. And I don't know if it really did or if it did, if what it had to say was critical. None of the comedians are that likable. The other male comedian got drunk and ran into a bus stop killing several people, if I recall. The woman is often putting down her peers and suggests betraying her sexual identity just in the service of someone whose comedy she appreciates. Samir's stand-up isn't funny. And it's not just that he's preaching Second Amendment to an audience, because... 
Eddie Izzard did that with the monkey with the gun routine, which kills. He's lecturing. There's no jokes, no punchlines. And when he's given the power to get laughs through naming people, he doesn't write jokes either. He just lists names or just points out facts about people, but there's no comedy there. There's no turning of phrase. There's no surprises or no decent storytelling. It's just a listing of facts about people and they're gone from existence. So in that regard, I don't think it's necessary that it's a story set at a comedy club, though I loved the set direction of this comedy club. I would love to perform there with the chandeliers and that cool mural on the wall. Take, for instance, what A Passage for Trumpet has to say about music and musicians. A classic episode really defines what it is to be a musician and play music, that there's soul there in those notes. Meanwhile, an episode like A Nice Place to Visit, which kind of has a Faustian quality to it as well, shows you what it's like to be a gangster. But with the comedian, I never really got a good grasp of the comedian's lifestyle or the role of comedy in society. And I think it's a missed opportunity, especially in an age where comedians confront cancel culture because of whatever poor taste jokes they tell. And you end up with this tug of war between political correctness and free speech. While I enjoyed the episode comedian, I couldn't help but want more from it. I think the episode could have satisfied me more if at the end when Samir named himself, outed himself, that somehow that would have cancelled the whole spell and everything would have been brought right because that's something they tell you in stand-up comedy is that you should make it personal. You should make it about you. And that perhaps would be the lesson that instead of trying to preach the Second Amendment to your audience that you expose yourself or as stand-up Mark Marin says on his podcast, to open a vein right there on stage and expose the real you. That if instead of disappearing and becoming part of the mural on the wall a la The Shining, that he would have learned his lesson and moved on from there. But I suppose that's not the direction they wanted to go, and I'm left wondering what it was all about, really, other than the quest for fame and what you lose to get there. Tom, this is Grace. I'm so excited about the Twilight Zone coming back. It's hard for me to properly articulate my thoughts, but I'm going to try. When I was about six to seven years old, I happened upon the New Year's marathon of the Twilight Zone and was instantly hooked on the show. I have loved it ever since. It gave me life lessons about morality and humanity and the human condition in ways I could never have gotten from my home life and parents. It gave me an open-minded and moral center that I am forever grateful for. I don't know if Rod Serling knew that these stories would end up influencing growing minds and hearts of generations to come, but they continue to do so. With the reboot coming out, I felt confident that Jordan Peele would be able to carry on Serling's mission, if you will. I think he's a perfect fit, and it's good to know that the show is in the right hands. I had a few thoughts. 
Firstly, that I'm glad it's not an April Fool's joke, even though it came out on April 1st. I'll get that out of the way. I could tell they were serious about this show, that this was made with just a lot of love from a lot of aspects. Firstly, Jordan Peele's narration and appearance. I think he does that mischievous, surling wink very well. The connecting tone is great, keeping in mind that each episode is a different story. It seems to be working really well. Even the fact they're using the same font for the credits and keeping the same closing credit style, that is just fantastic. To me, honestly, it feels like the show never left. That it's just the next episode in the original series with just a 60-year break. <laughs> I never got that feeling with either of the reboots from the 80s or the 2000s. Those had a more Outer Limits feel than as a true Twilight Zone successor feel, in my opinion. With Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, I like the supernatural element of a cr true crime podcast narrating a disaster unfolding and happening to you in real time. And that would totally freak me out as I am an avid podcast listener myself and tend to do most of it in the wee hours of the morning. I like how they kept cutting to the wing of the plane because we expect to see something out there. But the monster isn't out there. The monster is in here. The callbacks are really good, too. I noticed the Whipple brand MP3 device, which is a callback to an episode from the final season, uh, the Brain Center at Whipple's. And the brief mention at the start of the foretelling podcast about the mysterious plane disappearance over Buffalo and the incident with Flight 22 out of Miami. Those are both callbacks from episodes The Arrival and 22. They're great Easter eggs there if you catch them. The suspense works really well, and the comeuppance at the end is really good, I feel. I think the ending is supposed to be linked to his article about the end of civility. So far, I don't really have any real negatives, as you can probably tell. <laughs> I like the fact that they have the flexibility for runtime in this CBS all-access format, so episodes won't risk feeling too condensed or overstretched or outstay their welcome. They'll be just as long as they need to be. Something I would love to see incorporated into the new show at some point in the future would be some rural or Western-style episodes peppered in, possibly directed by the Coen brothers? Question mark. Just throwing it out there, they did a great job with The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I don't know if you've seen that on Netflix, but it's a Western anthology, and it's really good. I could easily picture some of those stories in the show. Just overall, I can't wait to see what new stories await us in the Twilight Zone. Take care, Tom. Cheers. I've had an email from longtime friend of the show, Al, and he says, I was disappointed by the episodes. The comedian had a nice little and when the sky was open vibe to it, but went on far too long. And was there really a character in that story who had killed some kids by crashing into a bus stop while drunk, but was still working across the street as a comedian? Did I get that right? 
Nightmare injected a supernatural element for no other reason except to cause the tragedy, as far as I could tell. Is this really the way the Twilight Zone is supposed to work, just being wantonly cruel? Because that, PTS aside, I couldn't understand why Sanderson didn't immediately get several people to listen to the podcast, if for no other reason than to see if he was imagining it, rather than continue to wander around the plane turning himself into someone that no one would believe. The rest of it was just nonsensical to me. What was the deal with the guy who took over the plane, or the guy who was afraid of lice from the headphones, or the family that somehow thought they could get a 10-year-old kid on the plane in first class for free, for that matter? But I still have hope for two reasons. One is that a New York Times review said the show starts, unfortunately, with the two least successful instalments of the four previewed for critics. The other is your recommendation that the show is good. I trust you, Tom. I assume your recommendation comes from watching one or two of the other previewed episodes, and I look forward to seeing them. And that was from Al. Thanks for writing in, Al. There's a lot of things we could say, and will say, about these episodes in the years ahead. But let's get the first thing out of the way. More than any of the previous efforts, this one has grabbed the ephemeral nature of the Twilight Zone and refuses to let it go. That thing that compelled me and so many of us to spend our New Year's and Fourth of July's indoors, glued to a spare TV, tucked in the back of wherever we were. Whatever it is, it's present in this show in spades. So, first things first, it is the Twilight Zone, and, you know, thank God for that. Uh, that out of the way, I do hope it improves. I liked both of the first episodes just fine, but they were hardly instant classics. They're flawed in different ways, but each is held up by strong performances and a masterful use of tone. And as a fan, the Easter eggs are just delightful. Uh, we're going to talk about the comedian next week, but, you know, let's talk a little bit about Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. Um, Adam Scott's fantastic in the episode. I've always loved his work but it's great to see him in something that's firmly dramatic. He brings the nervous tension required for the story to, uh, to work, and he does a good job playing to the ambiguities of what's happening. You're never quite sure how much is real and how much is in his head, and much of that just is you know, straight from his performance. The biggest problem I have with the episode is the runtime. You know, there are a couple of superfluous scenes that cut the tension and the, you know, track from the buildup. And the final scene just takes the whole episode down a peg. Um, you know, the comedian is even worse about all these things. But given how close 30,000 feet is to the standard 25-minute runtime, it feels like it would have been served a lot by tightening up the story and cutting out some bits. Overall, it's a lot of fun and captures the essence of the franchise, and it's filled with great moments. So I'd give it a final grade of a B in the end and just with lots of promise. Uh, this is Bill French with my thoughts. Thanks. It appears I'm on the Twilight Zone podcast hosted by Tom Elliott. Rondo award-winning, if I'm not mistaken. It is nice up in here. Is that real velvet? Good stuff. Just playing around, Tom. Thank you for allowing me some time on this uh, platform. Your podcast has uh, been in my ears for many years now. 
it's always great to bust out on a road trip. People are always like, oh, you're cultured and whatnot. So I definitely appreciate your presence on my podcast stream. We've exchanged tweets. Cheers, brother. Just a little bit of context on my voice with uh, Twilight Zone and Rod Serling. I roll pretty heavy with Rod. Um, <laughs> I roll pretty heavy with Rod Serling, I should say. I do a podcast, sci-fi conspiracy genre. I'm not going to push it. Uh, that would undermine my points, probably. But Rod Serling is one of our diabolical horsemen, which is kind of like the person that we talk the most about in a given year. Huge Twilight Zone fan. Came up watching those episodes, getting my mind broken and, and resorting things as you do. I'm also not, not of the uh, opinion that this is a great era in entertainment. So when I heard they were going to reboot the Twilight Zone and Jordan Peele was attached, uh, I think most of us can agree the dude is offensively talented. And uh, I've loved many of his characters throughout his career. So uh, I was encouraged. I was cautiously optimistic. I don't think I'm going to pay for the channel. I, I, come on. Come on, CBS. How about one for the plebs? Just release the episodes. Anyway, I did catch the comedian, so so I guess this is when this audio will drop. I guess before I get to talking about the episode, I should say that like people like Rod Serling and, and people like Larry Hama, who was the writer on the G.I. Joe comic, and let's just throw Charlton Heston in there, uh, all military folks all ended up telling stories after the military. I think in Charlton Heston's case had top military clearance, if you want to chew on that. So they go run into Hollywood and use the lens of sci-fi and military to tell us about our, our world. They made it accessible to all ages and the ability to kind of glean new understanding, uh, possibly in different chapters. That's that's my first issue with the new Twilight Zone. It, yes, it, it looks great. And I'm not a hater, but... I do think that critical thinking is exactly what Serling was about. So I'm not going to apologize for that. I thought the language, I think Peel slipped on that one because The Twilight Zone is a rare show that, yes, it's a mind breaker, but you can sit with your parents and watch it. That's a thing. So, I mean, I think the swearing and the stuff that just felt a little uh, gratuitous, I'm not down with that. And the other thing that kind of triggered me was this, just that it went identity politics up front with uh, gun control. I'm not going to dispute that I I'm tired of violence with guns, all forms of it, really. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't like Hollywood flexing the moral high ground. That doesn't taste good either. I'm still cautiously optimistic. I love Adam Scott. I know that 30,000 feet is going to be something amazing. But you know what? I'm not I'm not saying that, that this series is a loss, because what it does is it creates yet one more flashpoint for minds that were, were you know, blown by the original series and, and have enjoyed the following iterations. I, I, I've liked all the series. And if you're asking, I didn't mind the entrance for the 80s version of The Twilight Zone. The eye, the window, it just worked for me. And, and the zone, it kind of bleeds into your eyes. So I'm going to enjoy this one, and I hope it does stimulate conversations that help us all understand our world better. Welcome to the Twilight Zone. Hey, Tom. 
It's been a while since I sent anything in, but I figured what better occasion than this. First off, as usual, great job in the episode recap. I really like the conversational format, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. I wanted to talk about Nightmare 30,000 Feet. I think you and your guests did a good job covering the story, and to avoid retreading any ground, um, I want to talk about that ever-present Twilight Zone thing of what is it all about? What is the story really saying? You know, when I heard about the reboot and who was involved, I figured the show would still engage in political topics, but I had no idea how they, they were going to do it. Um, given today's climate, it can be a tricky act to pull off. So I was struck by how well Nightmare managed to keep this aspect of Serling's spirit alive. I think they did it in a really clever way. Uh, so this should go without saying, but this is just my opinion. And I'm not trying to tell anybody um, how they should interpret the episode or anything like that. <laughs> so... I don't think it's a leap to say that the show presents Adam Scott's character as a kind of left-leaning journalist. His story, The End of Civility, has just been published in Progressive Point magazine, um, and it has all the trappings of a Trump era, or Brexit era, if you like, cover story. There's this big sweeping headline, the close-up photo of an you know older, angry white guy who's been caught mid-shout. Uh, and this pairing has become pretty ubiquitous here, uh, and I imagine possibly over there in the UK as well. I wouldn't be surprised if I opened up a website right now and I found something similar. So, given that, I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say that Scott's character is a journalist who spoke out against something and now he finds himself living in a world that he tried to prevent. And from the moment he picks up the podcast, we're seeing the world through his eyes. And that's when the episode turns into a nice little allegory, I think. Our protagonist he possesses vital information and needs to communicate that information to the people around him in order to avoid a catastrophe and in his zeal to expose the truth and warn everyone he not only pushes the world closer to the brink but he actually literally gives the madman the password to the cockpit or the seat of power if you prefer the metaphor um, i think this works in two ways First, it serves as a literal translation of the title. This must be every journalist's greatest nightmare. Knowing something to be true, and in an effort to blow the whistle, you screw it all up. He's literally having uh, a personal nightmare while flying at 30,000 feet. Second, <clears throat> I wonder if there's a more critical political reading to this story. If you consider the closing lines, an investigative journalist unwilling to investigate himself and... The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I wonder if this is Jordan Peele and his team saying to reporters or just the media in general, look, you guys screwed up. You had the power to influence people at a crucial moment in history and you blew it. Um, you've said in the past yourself, Tom, that the Twilight Zone sometimes can serve as a mirror. And I wonder if Peele is holding it up to the media. Either way, <clears throat> I think this makes the final scene a bit more fitting. I do agree with you guys that a more effective ending from a narrative standpoint is just have the plane fly off into the clouds to give it that Odyssey of Flight 33 feel. Uh, but I think if you view the episode through the nightmare lens, the ending we get makes more sense. It completes the nightmare. Not only does the journalist fail, but he gets torn apart by the very people he tried to help. I think that speaks to a very real terror uh, at least here in the States, that some journalists must feel. Um, there's an awful lot of anger directed toward them, and I wouldn't be surprised if some are losing sleep, wondering if there's a maniac out there um, being urged on by a politician or a blogger or a radio host to do something stupid or to act out in some ridiculous way. Um, and so I, I think that it's it, it really completes that nightmare aspect. <clears throat> and I also wonder if maybe that ending was a bit of a nod to the ending from The Obsolete Man. It's just a 
just a thought. Uh, that's pretty much it for me. I wanted to point out one more thing, and that's how much I loved the use of the podcast as a magical item. Uh, the mysterious magical item is one of my favorite tropes in all of fiction, from creepy dolls to disappearing curio shops to, I don't know, a, a mystical puzzle box, if you if you like. Um, I just love them. And I've been waiting years for a short story or an anthology show like The Twilight Zone to use podcasts in this way. Um, here's the hoping that one day in the near future, somebody will reach out to a tall Brit with a low baritone and ask him to provide the voice for a podcast of the Dand or something equally sinister. Thanks, Tom. Can't wait for the next episode. Hey, Tom and listeners, Zach Moore here. You might remember me from the last episode of the podcast. (laughs) I just want to share some thoughts about The Comedian. Uh, I love this episode. I thought this episode was better than Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. I think it was really about something. Like, I I enjoyed Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. It was a fun, thorough eye that made you think. It was a little confusing, so maybe it made you think a little too much, like, in just plot ways instead of made you think about you know, society and the human condition the way other episodes do. Uh, But as these episodes have continued to come out, I've seen what that one was missing, and this one had it. And it was a a true commentary on, at least from my perspective, of the human condition and working and the entertainment industry. And when you're a creative, like what you put into your work. Because when you are a creative, you, you pour so much of yourself into your product. Like you, are, you are a country with only one export. I love that line uh, that gets repeated in the episode, uh, the comedian here. And I love Kumail Nanjiani. I've been a fan of his since he had an X-Files podcast called The X-Files Files, because he's a huge X-Files fan. And, you know, he's been a comedian. Now, I haven't seen the big uh, Sick, which is a, a semi-autobiographical movie about him and his wife. I definitely want to check that out. Uh, but I have been a fan of, of his X-Files fandom at the very least. So uh, it's great to kind of, I mean, he is a comedian, right? So it, it, this in and of itself is kind of a, a meta commentary on, on, on himself as a comedian. And, and I think it rings true, uh, like I was saying, I, because, you know, it, it's, it's a literal um, articulation of what goes on in the creative process. You put, you put yourself, your life, everything out there. Um, for for the public to consume or the audience to consume. Uh, now it, it doesn't it doesn't go to the extremes of then it disappears from your life. Uh, but I thought that that was great and it obviously shades here of and when the sky opened and by extension disappearing act by Richard Matheson the short story. Uh, in fact, you could have called this episode disappearing act because you know it's a comedy act. People are disappearing, you know. Uh, but again, that, that the Twilight Zone blueprint. Something extraordinary happening to an ordinary person and then the only person to see it. And also, I, I enjoy the butterfly effect aspect of this, right? Because he had people disappear um, and that affected the world around him, you know? Uh, especially the one where uh, the uh, uh, the older dude who was always hitting on his girlfriend, he, he has him disappear. But because that guy was so influ- influential on his girlfriend's career, her career totally changes. And I love that. It wasn't just like the very selective... Uh, no consequence when when uh, when things disappear. Other than because I thought, okay, maybe it's only gonna be consequences to him, but no, it, it is a true butterfly effect, a ripple effect. Um, so yeah, this one really had something to say, a lot to say about just and, and it's people too, because 
there's a comment made about about his character where it's like you just you see people as material you know we're nothing more to you you know and and yeah i mean think about that you know and how your act, interactions with other people do you value them for what you know value they can give to you or do you value them for the people they are and at what point we sacrifice that right uh and finally you know little uh, twilight zone easter egg uh you see the dummy from uh the dummy <laughs> in the background it's just a quick Blinking a message shot, but they're continuing that Twilight Zone item uh, from the original series in there. And again, it just builds this universe. And the, the comedy club aspect of it as well uh, makes, makes you feel like the, the, old, the old Twilight Zone. Uh, obviously, the, the dummy that takes place in a comedy club. You know, I, if, <laughs> I almost, I, I hoped and expected uh, Jordan Peele to kind of be in the crowd, but he's in the apartment. And then, of course, he's at the end in front of that wall of dummies, or wall of dummies, look at me, uh, the wall of, you know, uh, painting comedians. And you wonder, like, are all the comedians that go through this experience, do they get put on the wall in the back? You don't know. Uh, also, it reminds me of, one, The Shining, uh, which Jack Nicholson's character being in that picture at the end, and also the Key and Peele skit. I know I was saying, I know I said that you can divorce yourself and Key and Peele when you watch this, but I can't help but think about it. There's a Key and Peele skit that riffs on The Shining, and the end it has Jordan Peele in that picture with Jack Nicholson in the end where it zooms in on it, and that is where he is gone, uh, Kamel Nanjiani's character on, on the wall there at the comedy club. But yeah, these are, this feels so Twilight Zone, and I really loved it, and, and I'm looking forward to even more episodes because they are totally on the right track. Uh, there, there were a few things, again, I, I liked Nightmare in 30,000 Feet, it was missing a few things for me, and those things were present in The Comedian. What's up, Tom? It is Uncommon NASA giving you some audio feedback on Twilight Zone 2019. It's finally our day, as you've been saying. Um, I think this is really cool. Um, we finally don't have to listen to just Star Wars people talk about their favorite thing being rebooted. Um, we have like what seems like a successful reboot in front of us, or at least a, a an earnest... Uh, attempt to do a reboot and to do it as a continuation. First two episodes, I thought they were really incredible. Um, I don't want to overstate it. I, I watched them through twice now. I watched The Comedian first because it was labeled um, Season 1, Episode 1 on on my um, service, um, even though both were out the same day. So I'll start with The Comedian. I just thought the writing was was really well done. The dialogue was great. Nobody's really talking about Tracy Morgan. I didn't even know he was going to be on the series, and he just showed up in the first episode. Tracy Morgan was amazing. Like he he kind of like channeled the look that 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 weird look that um, Lakeith Stanfield was able to give in Get Out and and make it something. You know, like I, I thought it was really interesting the way that he. He sort of almost channeled that character in a totally different way. I think it's really interesting to to point out that that really both of these episodes um, are Serling written reimaginings. Um, the comedian, I haven't heard too many people mention it yet. Uh, I'm not sure if you did yet yourself, Tom. Um, it, it it basically it seems to me undeniably like a reimagining of uh, a Night Gallery episode that Sterling wrote that I believe even Steven Spielberg had directed called Make Me Laugh. In the original story, um, that was basically about a comedian that couldn't get laughs anymore. He was kind of past his prime and he found this, or I guess this this character finds him 
and basically is sort of like a genie-esque sort of character that doesn't come out of a bottle, and he, he grants him the wish of being able to make people laugh. He, he does it really well, makes a lot of money, and he realizes the curse is that now no one ever takes him seriously, and he's always being laughed at, even when he's not on stage, and he has to kind of grapple with that. I kind of honestly forgot how it ended, <laughs> but it it is very similar, and I think the, the idea of them just coming right out of the box with like a homage to a much lesser known Serling story is so awesome. And there's also elements in this story of Velvet Alley, which is a teleplay um, starring Art Carney um, in terms of like the story of success starting to separate you from those around you that were around you when, before you had that success. And um, I think that's the point of this story. The more that you share, the more people take and the less you have around you. And and there is sort of a, a reality to that in terms of fame. I just, I thought this episode was, was classic in the sense that it was dialogue heavy. It was set limited and it had a large point to make. And, that really is the Twilight Zone. You know, it makes me wonder if there are certain budget limitations that are cleverly being hidden. Um, because, you know, this story's apex could have easily seen the main character playing bigger and bigger arenas, you know, and, and, and you know, destroying more and more people's lives on his way up to the real top. I mean, he continues to perform at the same club, so how far is he really getting? <laughs> Forgiving that... I thought it was a really good episode. I think the original um, Night Gallery piece and this one both ran into the same problem, although the second time I watched this, it didn't bother me as much, um, is you did have the awkwardness of repeatedly watching someone tell jokes that are not funny or say things that aren't even meant to be jokes and having an audience just guffawing and laughing about it. Um, That was the issue with with the night gallery episode and that that was a slight issue with this episode but i i thought it was really great and i was really happy to see it as the first episode i would also want to make a couple quick comments on the second episode nightmare at Thirty Thousand feet one thing that i thought was true about the comedian and about nightmare at Thirty Thousand feet that minor characters that may have had a handful of lines completely shined on the original series I think Nightmare at 30,000 Feet is kind of like that. The two flight attendants were were just perfect. I mean, if you've been on a flight, (laughs) if you've been on a flight, I I can guarantee you that those two actors have definitely been on a lot of flights uh, because they were dead on as flight attendants. Um, You know, shout out to Jay Cameron Barnett, who really like put the flight attendant face on I, I can remember being on a flight once and um, a, a brief side story um, you know they bring out those carts and for some reason certain flights I think it's United like they have a cart that has the drinks and a cart that has the, the snacks and my typical stee is to get a beer because I don't like flying and I, I hate flying I, I didn't fly until I was about 33 for the first time but I, I really wanted this beer to calm my nerves. And they give you those little baby beers anyway. But I wanted it. And um, the, the the snack cart came first. So I got a bag of chips. And usually, good flight attendants will then say, Hey, do you want a drink? I'll ask her. And then they take care of the money at the same time, even though they're separate carts. But this dude 
in particular really wanted to make sure that I waited. And of course, he charged me, took my money, gave me the chips that I could not eat because I didn't have anything to drink because the drink cart was behind him. And then turbulence happened and the and the <laughs> the captain made them go and sit. And could he hand me a drink on his way and just come get the money anyway because I wasn't going anywhere? No, of course not. He left me standing there holding my potato chips. And when I got upset about it, when he came back, he definitely gave me the exact same look um, that the actor playing the flight attendant gave me, uh, gave gave the character on the show. I just thought that was funny. It was like the look in his eyes. It brought me right back to that flight. It was kind of hilarious. I have a couple of theories after watching this episode, you know, and knowing that Jordan Peele, I think, did more of the writing on this one than the previous episode. There is a lot more symbolism. Um, you know, I think that's that's Jordan's thing, and um, I find it interesting because it definitely makes me think. I think the the pushing of like civility, civility, and the fact that this guy is like a liberal commentator, and he, you know, has spent time in the Middle East covering war torn countries, and you know, he's what most of us would consider sort of a cosmopolitan progressive man. But at the same time, even though he like gives up his seat for like a, a Muslim family. You know, when push comes to shove, he's very suspicious of people of different backgrounds. Um, you know, he calls out these these two Sikh gentlemen. And then once they say, like, you know, we're Sikh, right? He, he like, throws, like, one of sort of, like, a, a Sikh tenant of their religion back at them. And, um, you know, there's another part where he just assumes that, like, the Russian dude in the front who's just an honest soccer player is, like, a mobster. And there's a part, uh, the, the whole air marshal thing, like, I knew that, that, you know, the black woman in the hoodie was the air marshal. I just realized that myself. But I think it was interesting that they did that because there's a lot of people watching um, that might not have realized that. And it's kind of like an opportunity to question yourself and be like, well, why wouldn't she be the air marshal? And I think that was sort of the point of casting her that way. And putting that whole backdrop together was to show that this white male character that is sort of on the liberal side of things and makes a living off of being a liberal is is maybe even more suspicious you know and and the whole pushing of like the end of civility and being civil to each other i think it's all sort of a metaphor of like practice what you preach i guess is the is is the is the the message there um you know, just because you say things, you have to actually exhibit them in actions. I think it's sort of a callback to like an episode like The Shelter or something like that. I think that was the point of the episode. I could be wrong. I'll say a couple quick more things. You know, seeing Rod Serling's name in the beginning, created by Rod Serling, that was a big moment. Um, I'm sure that it says it on the other remakes. But again, this remake was made with pride and respect. And I think that's the huge difference. I think even a bad episode of this series... I'm willing to just shake off and be like, eh, you know, it's fine. Because I understand that this series is being made from the right place. It's a group of people that are interested in making compelling media that hopefully is profitable, but also is compelling media and that is respectful of legacy. And um, I really respect that. And, you know, as you guys pointed out, the end credits with the with the dots, I didn't even notice that myself or the, the frozen picture at the end. You know, it's important to state too, like, this show's not in black and white, but it definitely has a, a look to it. Each episode of the two that I've seen, you know, so far, they're kind of shot with 
I'm not an expert on video techniques, but I think they're kind of shot in what you would call like a soft lens. Um, so it kind of has this haze to it. Um, and there's certainly angles that are, you know, put on that are, that are like super close, weird perspective in both episodes. And I think it gives it a feel and a look without it, like stealing black and white elements or, or weird color schemes or anything like that. So I think right now it's off to a great start. So it's rare that I can be this happy about something. (laughs) I will say I'm curious if, uh, you know, the hour format is interesting. It, it does harken back to season four. There are moments where it, I, I kind of did contemplate what would this have been like if it was 30 minutes. Um, there's a great show on Netflix uh, that just finished its you know kind of premiere in February that's still up there called Russian Doll that actually did do 30-minute episodes, and I thought it was amazing. So I would suggest that to anyone listening. And I bring that up because it does prove that a 30-minute format can still work in the streaming era uh, and the post-cable drama era. But um, I still think that these work at 60 minutes. I I hope that they continue to work. And I think they're probably going to get a lot more deeper from here, that would be my guess. These were two sort of very non-offensive episodes by comparison to you know, some of the work that Jordan Peele and even Rod Serling have done. So I'm curious to see how far they, they push. That's all for me. My thanks to everyone who sent in clips and emails for this show. I've really enjoyed listening to them and I hope the listeners out there enjoyed it too. Now the next episode to drop of the Twilight Zone is called Replay and that drops on the 11th of April. Now I initially said that the turnaround for getting feedback in was going to be quite tight and out of necessity with a weekly show I think it has to be. But I will extend it a little because obviously not everyone gets to watch on the first day of something being released. So the episode drops on Thursday the 11th. If you could have your emails and clips to me by Sunday the 14th that would be fantastic. And then I can get the listener show out for Monday and Tuesday that week because I want to keep this going. I think it's a valuable thing to get different points of view onto the show. And one of the great things about this new Twilight Zone at the moment is how people are picking up on different references and putting that out there for other fans to pick up on. So I think that's a really cool thing. So to send me your emails and clips, email TZ2019. That's TZ2019 at thetwilightzonepodcast.com by Sunday the 14th of April. And originally I said, you know, clips of two to three minutes, but I think what this show has shown is people have got a lot to say. So if you want to do a clip for Rewind up to about five minutes, and I'm not going to be super strict. If you go over a little bit, that's fine. Um, So we'll keep them in the region of about five minutes if you've got that much to say. If you only need a couple of minutes, that's great too, but we'll be pretty loose with it and uh, and see how we get on. Just one more quick reminder, the Twilight Zone podcast has been nominated for a Rondo Award. And if you enjoy what we're doing here, if you enjoy this coverage, it would really mean a lot for you to put your vote into it. And there's a very simple and easy way to do it. All it takes is a quick email and I've even prepared it for you. So if you go to thetwilightzonepodcast.com slash Rondo, that's R-O-N-D-O, and just follow the really simple instructions there, then you can cast your vote for the Twilight Zone podcast in the 60th year 
of the show, I think it would be fantastic to take that award to Binghamton and, uh, and be able to thank you in a special video that I will make if we win. So that's enough from me, you know, let's keep going on this Twilight Zone journey together and I will speak to you next time. Bye for now.